today we're in week three of our Rhythms series. I hope this has been a series that has challenged you and encouraged you. I know it has me. Uh, we've been discussing this idea of worshiping God through the rhythms of our lives. And it's interesting because we oftentimes can get ourselves kind of wrapped up in the busyness of life, and we can actually miss out on what God is desiring to do in and through our lives. The last couple weeks, we've been talking about the rhythm of work, and last week, the the rhythm of rest, talking about the work that we do, the things that we put our hands to, the things that we apply our minds to, those things being... um, things that we can actually do as worship to God, that our rhythm of work can be a blessing to God and to the people around us. We talked last week about the importance of rest, about understanding that rest is something that allows us to train our focus on God and on his will and on his purpose for our lives and how important it is for us to take that time to balance the things that we're doing and the energy that we're uh, putting forth daily to, to resting and truly coming to that place of communion with God through rest. Today we're going to be discussing an interesting rhythm, and that is the rhythm of worship. This is one that, that oftentimes I think we, we, we maybe overlook because we too often probably see worship as something we do when we come into the church. Come to the church, we sing songs, and we raise our hands, and, or maybe some of you raise your hands, maybe some of you aren't familiar with the the action and the attitude of, of raising hands is a, a sign of devotion and worship to God. We wanted to, we wanted to help you out today. If you haven't gotten to that place of comfort um, in your worship yet, we wanted to help you out. And if you've uh, ever seen Tim Hawkins, he's a Christian comedian, very funny guy. Um, I would encourage you to YouTube him when you get home. He's got a little bit about, about uh, hand-raising. We're, we're a hand-raising church. We love to be able to raise our hands. It's just a sign of surrender and worship to God. But some of you maybe aren't, aren't familiar with that, so we want to help you out today. So we're going to give you a little tutorial on hand-raising. So we've got a little thing we'll throw up on the screen here for you, give you a little bit of help. But when it comes to hand-raising, there's multiple levels of, of uh, you know, advancement that you can go through in, in, in hand-raising. And if you're, if you're kind of new to it, you know, we, we don't want you to feel like you have to get all crazy and out of hand, you know. You can start simple. Just get the hands in the pockets. And you kind of get the sway going like this, and this little elbow flap. Just keep it real nice and simple right here. Yep. Once you feel a little bit more comfortable with the elbow flap, you can start with the uh, uh, carry my TV. Carry my TV. Right? Get a little bit more comfortable with that. Widescreen. Just bring it out here. You know what? You want to make plenty of support. You got to have plenty of support. If you want to take it up a level, you can start with my fish was this big. You know, you bring it up a little bit higher. For all you liars in the audience, it's this big. <laughs> and then if you're feeling a little bit more ambitious, you can go with Mufasa, right? <laughs> and then if you really want to take it up a notch, you go with dueling light bulbs, right here. And there's goalposts, right here. Maybe you mix in a little heartburn, goalposts to the good of the heart, right? Keep it, keep it going. And then there's the pointer hatch at schoolroom, right? Right here, if you want to do the wash the windows, if you're getting a little real excited and get the little hips going in there like that. And then there's the, the big three. Village people, Rocky, touchdown. Village people, Rocky, touchdown. We're having a little bit of fun, right? 
For those of you who like to raise your hands, please know we're not, not making fun of you. But it's, it's interesting that oftentimes this is what we think of when we think of worship. It's, I'm going to come in, I'm going to sing some songs, and we're going to worship God. Too often we miss the fact that worship is something that should be part of the rhythm of our lives each and every day and in each and every moment. You know, worship comes from the Greek word proskunio, and it means the genuinely respectful recognition and honoring of the person and authority of God, coupled with a realistic understanding of one's inferior existence. Translation, he's God, I'm not. Worship at its core is an acknowledgement that he is God, and we're not. That his plan and his purpose is so much greater than ours. And the things that he is desiring to do in you and in the world are of so much greater consequence than anything that we could put our hands to. You know, keeping a steady rhythm of worship in our daily lives is something that many of us struggle with. Because there's a lot of things going on. There's a lot of stuff coming at us. There's a lot of, there's a lot of details. Work, finding time to rest, finding time to refresh, finding time to recharge. There's a lot coming at us in our daily lives, and sometimes we struggle to find time to worship. But worship at its core is really the greatest expression of our most important priorities. Worship at its core is truly the expression of your greatest priorities. What's most important to you in life is what you will worship. And as we talk today about the rhythm of worship, I want to take a look at what Scripture has to say about how we can fully engage a life of worship. I want to start with our text. It's found in John chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, you can flip there. If you don't, you can uh, grab your mobile device and jump on the YouVersion Bible app. And you'll notice our scriptures and notes are on there for you. But John chapter 4, starting verse 19, this is the woman at the well engaging Jesus, the Samaritan woman and Jesus. We'll pick it up in verse 19. When the woman says, Sir, I can see that you're a prophet. Fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Father God, I pray that you would challenge our hearts today to understand the importance of worship. To understand that it's more than just coming in and doing a ritualistic exercise in church. But it's truly in an attitude and an action of love and devotion to you each and every day. 
Pray that you would encourage us today to understand what you're doing in this world, what you're desiring to do in our hearts. And I pray, Father God, that you bless our time together as we study your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, this interaction in John's gospel between Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well is really, truly an interesting interaction. Because we see this, this, again, this convergence of two very different perspectives. You know, Jesus had just finished conversing with this woman and had really basically just kind of opened the scroll of her life and, 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 and laid it out in bullet points. And she was, she was blown away at, at what, what he knew about her. And so they engaged this conversation. And as you recall, he said, you know, would you get me some water? And she was, you know, you can't do that. And then he responded by saying, if, if you knew who it was that was asking you for the water, you would ask him for living water. You'd ask him for eternal life. And they begin this discussion on worship. And the woman, interestingly, speaks of locational worship. She, talk, she talks about where worship should take place, the you know, our, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews, you, you, you worship in Jerusalem. You, you wait until you get to the synagogue. You should be in the temple. You should be in a location. And that's how worship should take place. It was less about the action, but more about the place. And Jesus kind of flips the script and says, no, 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 it's not based on the location. It's more about the attitude. We're called to, to, to worship in spirit and in truth. And it's less about the place and more about the, the heart. You know, as we dig into this critically important rhythm of worship, we have to understand the following realities as it pertains to our lives. First thing is this. Our rhythm of worship is always dictated by our priorities. Let me say that again. Our rhythm of worship is always dictated by our priorities. Do you know that your ability to worship God through your life is going to be dictated on what you prioritize to be the most important thing? You know, there's, there's, there's a lot of important things vying for our time and our attention, and most of them are not bad things. You know, sometimes our, we get our priorities out of, out of sync, I always kind of try and remind myself of, of, of the priorities in my life. You know, first and foremost, I'm a child of God. I've, 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 I've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. You know, Jesus went to the cross, died, was resurrected so that I could have life and I could have salvation. I'm a child of God first and foremost, above everything else. Then I'm a husband. Sometimes I'm a good husband, sometimes not so great. Sometimes I make fun of my wife, you know, because she did her hair, and then walked out, and it's right, you know. Child of God, I'm a, I'm a husband, I'm a father, love my kids. I'm a son, I'm a brother, I'm a friend. Oh, by the way, I'm a pastor. But sometimes we get those things all out of sorts, and we start kind of placing unbalanced priority on who we are. We have to be intentional, sift through the noise of life to really understand what the priority is for us as followers of Christ. Luke chapter 10, 
starting in verse 38, says this. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. It's a familiar story. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Jesus looked at her and said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. We find ourselves in this place where there's all these things, and we're focused on all this stuff, and we're, we're saying, can't you, can't you tell them to help me? And God's saying, just stop. Just, just call a time out for a quick second. Just know that I'm God and that I love you. Just spend some time and worship with me. Worship me. What takes priority in our lives is what we will worship. Maybe for some of you, it's work. Maybe you worship your work. It's everything to you. It's, it, it's your, you eat, sleep, and breathe your work. It brings you purpose. It brings you fulfillment. And if you don't have your work, you wouldn't know what you would do. Who are, who are you without your, your job, without your career? And maybe that is what you are actively worshiping. Maybe for some of you, it's exercise. You're so addicted to exercise that you would put everything else aside. You would ignore everything else to exercise. I'm not there yet. Just being honest. Maybe some of you prioritize traveling. You love to travel. Not a bad thing. But you'll prioritize everything. Travel over everything else. You'll, you'll move heaven and earth to make sure that you can take your trip wherever. Maybe it's friends. Maybe your friends are your priority. Not bad. There's nothing wrong with it. But sometimes we get out of balance with our priorities. Here's one that might get a little closer to home. What about your kids? You worship your kids? You may not say that you worship your kids. But anybody who spends any time around you for very long will say, yeah, you worship your kids. I love my kids. I'll move heaven and earth for my kids. I'll die for my kids. I don't worship my kids. Because if I start to have my kids be the, the, my point of adoration and worship, everything else gets out of balance. God says, go here. I want you to do this, Dan. No, I can't do that. It's going to really upset my, my kids' lives. And it, I love my kids. My friend Joel Slater had the privilege to serve him as an administrator at Horizon Christian School when he had his kids enrolled, he and Amy. And they got called to go to the mission field to Malawi with their four kids, all of which were still high school and younger. Jasper being the little guy who's like five or six. Drop everything, Joel. Why don't you go to Malawi? Okay. If you worship your kids, you want to know what the answer to that call would be? Heck no, God. <laughs> My kids are still in school. This is not a good time to pull them out. Mm -mm -mm. Do we fall prey to the temptation of placing the will of our kids over the will of God? The will of our work? 
will of our travel itinerary? What if God called you today to the mission field or to move or to give something up? You are what you do every day. Interesting, I read this quote the other day. It's by John Chu. You are what you do every day. And there was a blogger who kind of wrote about this. I just wanted to share this thought. The blogger Tom Curran writes, You are what you do every day. The above is a quote by John Chu. It's a quote that has been seared into my mind over the past few months because it's on my wall. I look at it every day. This quote means everything to me. It's the very foundation on which I've built the person that I am. You are what you do every day. I'm an artist, says the person who watches Netflix more than she paints. No, you're not. I'm a writer, says the man who gets drunk twice a week and writes once. No, you're not. You are what you do every day. You're not what you do once a week. That would make you an amateur. Professionals stick to the schedule. Amateurs let life get in the way. Professionals know what is important to them and work towards it with purpose. Amateurs get pulled off course by the urgencies of life. The thing is, the only barrier between being an amateur and a professional is consistency. It's not money like most people think. It's dedication. Are you a professional worshiper of God? Are you a professional follower of Christ? Or do we just... Are we just satisfied being amateur, amateur worshipers? Because we are what we do every day. The question we need to ask ourselves then, is our worship really to God every day? It's something I struggle with daily this over that, with this, i got to do this, and this is important, and this person's relying on me, and I committed to doing this. And, and, and we get ourselves so far out of balance that we're worshiping everything else but God. We've got to understand our rhythm of worship is always dictated by our priorities. Second thing is this. Worship to God is less about where and more about when. Our worship to God is less about where, more about when. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting in verse 14, says, And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strives to do what is good for each other, for everyone else. Rejoice always, pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Pray continually. Rejoice always. Not easy. Why is it that we tend to go about our day and our week waiting to worship God until we get to church? Do we think that we can't worship God outside of the walls of this church? Do we think that we can't worship God in our homes? Do we think we can't worship, our, worship God in our jobs? Do we think we can't worship God in the midst of a conversation or an interaction? 
You know, I had the privilege of, of being at a worship conference a number of years ago. It's probably 15 years ago now. And I was there, and, and a gal by the name of Christine Kane. Um, some of you are familiar with Christine. She's from Hillsong, very well-known speaker. Christine was early on in her ministry, and she was speaking to us about worship. And she was talking about this idea of praying continually, or in some translations it says, pray without ceasing. And she was challenging us to this place of praying without ceasing, and I thought, you're crazy. Like, nobody can pray without ceasing. It's like, yeah, you know, like the monks, you know, like, you know, and nobody does that, except for me, the monks. It is really cool. But I thought, this is, that, they, that you, you, can't, you can't seriously believe that people can pull that off with any level of success. And I remember her challenging us to, to get into um, groups to, to partner up. And so I was sitting there interacting with this guy. She said, I want you to talk, share your story, then I want you to pray for the person while you're talking to them. And my ADD mind just kind of went like, I was like, this is not going to work at all. And, you know, so I started this conversation with this guy, and we were sharing our stories with one another. And it was the craziest thing, because I was super focused. Because I was talking to the dude, and I was praying for him at the same time. And I found that my level of, of focus and devotion to this interaction with this gentleman was heightened all of a sudden. Because I was believing on his behalf. I was asking God to bless him and his family as I was talking and we were sharing our stories. And God's desire is that our focus would be heightened, that our awareness of his presence in our lives would be heightened. As we stay in tune with him, as we stay in prayer with him, as we pray continually throughout our day, throughout the things that we go through in life. We should be willing to commit every moment, every interaction, every thought, every victory, every defeat to God. Do you do that? When you fail at something, do you say, God, you know what? I know you can take that and, and, and you can help me to grow. Or is it, Because too often we fail to see what God is able to do in the midst of every situation. The truth is every skill, gift, passion you have can be used to bless someone if you're aware. If you're living your life as an attitude of worship, our adoration to God can be expressed when we drive, when we eat, when we offer a smile or a kind word when we listen. Every one of those things can be done as worship to God. Worship to God is less about where and more about when. Final thought is this. To worship God in spirit and in truth means our devotion must come from the heart, no matter what the situation is. No matter what's going on, our worship has got to come from the heart, spirit, and truth. I wonder if it ever dawns on people that when you step into relationship with Jesus, that when you call yourself a Christ follower, people are actually watching you. Does it ever dawn us, on us that people are actually watching us? 
And we go to work and people know, you know, he's a Christian. He goes to that neighborhood church place, you know, where the guy shouts and, you know. She's a believer. She believes in that Jesus guy. And she's a kind of a, you know, goody two-shoes. I don't think we pause to think about our actions and our words and how they impact and influence people. Do our words and our actions reflect the heart of Jesus? What do we do when we get cut off on the road? Give them the old cross sign? I've seen Christians that are quicker to get the old you're number one sign up in the window than, than others. What's our response when somebody ruins our stuff? I was sitting in the parking lot at TJ Maxx over in Corvallis. Uh, it was Friday, I think. Sitting there, it's pouring down rain, waiting for my mother-in-law. She's bringing Leah back from the coast. They'd spent a couple days together. So I'm sitting there, I'm waiting, minding my own business, playing tap baseball, doing something important on my phone. And uh, all of a sudden, I hear this, I'm like, what the heck? And I look back, and this little, you know, 19-year-old college gal had just swung her door open and whacked my, my you know, back passenger door. And I'm like, <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> and she's like, oh, sorry. <laughs> And I'm a lover, not a fighter. So instead of getting out and, you know, lambasting her, I just kind of sat there and was like, okay. But what do we do when somebody ruins our stuff? My son, Micah, is amazing and thoughtful in all of his ways. And he was uh, needing to exercise in our garage. So he's moving some stuff around, and we have a old Apple iMac computer. Um, it's old, but it's, you know, cost me money, gosh darn it. So anyways, it was sitting on the floor, and obviously it was, it was too much in his space for him to be able to get his full range of motion. I don't know. So he felt that he would need to move that, and he thought a good idea would be to put it on the top shelf of one of our uh, storage shelves. So he set it up there, and we came home, and uh, I popped the garage door, and the garage door came up, and went, <whistles> and the thing did a little, you know, top turnbuckle dive, and um, it is durable. It's got a pretty nice little dent in it. It just doesn't work anymore, so there's that, yeah. But what do we do when people ruin our stuff? Do we get ticked? Do we... What's your response when someone disagrees with your political views? Hello! (laughs) Right? Are we unfriending? Are we... I get it. People are wacky on social media. Don't don't get me wrong. I was educated after last service. It's not parlor, it's parlay. Just shows you how naive I am. But, you know... People are jumping ship from one social media to another social media now because that's fine. Some of you are. It's great. But what do we do when people disagree with us and people lose their minds on social media? Are we, are we losing our minds on social media? Are we exhibiting Christ-like behavior? 
when it comes to our social media? Or are we loving people? Because here's the interesting thing. Nowhere in Scripture does it state that our worship and devotion to God can be situational. It's not anywhere in here, actually. We don't get to choose when we worship God. True devotion to God means that in every moment, in every situation, in every interaction, no matter how crazy the person that's sitting across from us is, we're called to worship God and we're called to point people to Christ. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm just saying that's the situation. Paul and Silas, Acts chapter 16, they just get done. This girl's chasing them around town. They're out there blessing people and healing people. They're doing all this awesome stuff. And this girl's chasing them around town. And they turn around, they cast a demon out of her. And then the people who were making money off of her fortune telling and all this stuff get ticked. So they have them thrown in jail. Let's pick it up there. Acts chapter 16, verse 23. After they had been severely flogged, yes, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. And you know exactly what Paul and Silas did. Gosh darn it, we were doing the work of the Lord and this is what happened. And it's always like this, Silas. I'm sick and tired of this. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. The other prisoners were listening to them. And we know what happens in the rest of the story. Jail opens up. They all stay put. Jailer freaks out. It's about to take his own life. They're like, no. And as as a consequence of their worship and their devotion to God, the jailer and his entire household, Scripture tells us, came to belief in God. So what is our response? Why do we believe we're justified to shed our Christ-likeness when people upset us or when we're wrongfully accused? Are we different? If I could have half the influence that Paul did, I would be a happy camper when I take my last breath. And yet we think for some reason that we have an exception, like we have a little get-out-of-jail-free card that we got on our Monopoly board that says, uh, that guy was a real jerk, so I don't need to show Jesus' love to him. No, we're called to worship in spirit and in truth. What does it mean to worship in spirit? It represents our need to worship from the heart or from within. It comes from here. It comes from that devotion. It comes from that heart. For God and for people. It's that part of us that goes, ah, when we see a picture of Honduras and we go, gosh, what's going on, man? Why is this stuff happening? That's what it means to worship in spirit. It necessitates a continual desire to grow in our faith in Jesus. It's not a one-stop like, hey, God, you're awesome. Okay, let's move on. No, it's continual growth. It's day in and day out moving closer and closer to who he is. This means we must truly guard our hearts from the things that would draw us away from God's presence. We've got to guard against those things. Bitterness, unforgiveness, frustration, anger, all those things will steal us from God and his presence. Worshiping in truth, it represents our active relationship with Scripture 
If you don't know Scripture, if you're not in the Word of God, how can you worship in truth? Because Jesus said at the beginning of John 1.1, the Word was with God and the Word was God, and he's speaking of himself. To worship in truth means we need to regularly be in the Bible, understanding the truths of who Jesus is, and what he desires for our lives. We've got to be in tune with the word of God. Church, true worship can only come from a life that engages heart and head, spirit and truth. That's complete devotion to God. When we get too engaged to worship him. As the worship team comes and we prepare to close, I'm a quotes guy, so just forgive me. I was reading this quote about worship the other day from John Ortberg. He says, I need to worship because without it, I can forget that I have a big God beside me and I might live in fear. I need to worship because without it, I can forget his calling and begin to live in a spirit of self-preoccupation. I need to worship because without it, I lose a sense of wonder and gratitude and plod through life with blinders on. I need to worship because my natural tendency is towards self-reliance and stubborn independence. Let me read that again. I need worship because my natural tendency is towards self-reliance and stubborn independence. I know I'm the only one in this place that struggles, struggles with that. Self-reliance and stubborn independence. Pray for me, everybody, please. That's the reality, is worship keeps us from that place of ceasing to remember what God has done for us and what God is desiring to do through us. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? We're going to do something a little bit different. As we prepare to close and as we prepare to be dismissed, I want to ask this question. I'd like you just to, just to respect uh, the fact that people are engaging this personally. With everybody's eyes closed, I want to ask this question. If you've struggled to navigate the rhythm of worship in your daily life. Would you just raise your hand quickly and put it, put it up and then back down? Yeah, all over this place. Hands going up everywhere. This is not easy. I don't care how long you've been a follower of Christ. You may have asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life 40 years ago. It doesn't mean it makes it any easier for you to live your life every day as an attitude of worship. The rhythm of our worship is dictated by our priorities. Worship is less about where and more about when. We're called to worship God in spirit and truth. And if you want to make that your commitment today, I want to pray for you. God, we thank you that we can come to you not only in response 
of worship, like we do on Sunday mornings when we come and we celebrate and we thank you for what you've done in our lives the previous week and we lift our hands and we sing worship songs to respond to your goodness and your greatness in our lives. But God, that we would worship you in spirit and in truth with our heads and our hearts, would, that every aspect and detail of our lives would be in worship to you. God, I ask you this morning to help us. Every one of us has failed in this area. Every one of us has faced a situation, and instead of looking at it and saying, but God, we've said, but what do I do now? God, I pray that our response in every situation would be, but God. Father, that we would be able to look uncertainty in the face and say, you're bigger, God. That we would be able to navigate hurt and understand that you are our healer, that you are our provider, that you are our protector. Lord, we just ask that you would give us hearts filled with worship and adoration to you. That we would never lose sight of what you're doing in the midst of a moment. I ask for those that have raised their hands and many who haven't. God, that you would meet us each and every day and each and every moment and we would see your hand at work. We would see your heart. We wouldn't miss a moment or an interaction where somebody's hurting and we can say a kind word or bring encouragement. I just thank you, Father, that you love us And Scripture says, while we were still sinners, Christ died. You loved us that much. And so we return that love back to you as an attitude of worship. We ask that you'd use us each and every day, that our lives would reflect you and point people to you. God, that's our prayer. And this morning, whether you're here at the church or you're tuning in online, If you haven't made that decision to step into relationship with Jesus, to understand what it means to follow God with your whole heart, we want to give you that opportunity. As we talk about rhythm, what it means to worship God with our lives, if you're desiring to step into relationship, Scripture tells us if we believe in our heart that Christ died, confess with our mouth that he was raised from the dead, we will be saved. So in a moment, we're going to say a prayer together. We'd ask you to say that prayer and confess the areas that you've missed it, the areas that you've messed up. Confess your need of God in your life, and he will save you. But we're going to do it together. I'd ask the church to Say this prayer with me as as those are coming to to Jesus, to knowledge of Jesus, relationship today. Would you say this with me, church? Father God, please forgive me. I've sinned and I've made a lot of mistakes. I believe that your son, Jesus Christ, came to this earth to show me how to live and died and was raised back to life 
so that I could have a relationship with you. I ask you today to come into my heart and be the Lord of my life. Change the things in me I can't change. I commit my life to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you made that decision today, we want to hear. We want to celebrate with you. We want to walk with you. We want to get you a Bible. We want to help you as you start this journey in your relationship with Jesus. If you'd be willing to write on the connection card, I made a decision for Christ. Or if you'd like to email us at info at albanync.org. We'd love to get in touch with you. This week, church, as we go into our week, as we engage people in the grocery store, as we go back into a little bit of a, a, a crazy mode, I would encourage you to look for creative ways to reach people. Look for creative ways to worship God. Whether that means you're going to do a small group on Zoom now or you're going to find a new and creative, creative way to call or reach out to somebody, let's stay connected. The Church of Acts did not meet in a building. They came together. They prayed for one another. They ate together. They loved each other. They gave generously. So as we go into this week, let's not take a hunker down and, oh my gosh, woe is me. But let's look at opportunities to love people, to encourage them. And I know that as we do that, that people will see Christ in us. So as we say every week, church, let's be the neighborhood. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.